So, hello and good morning. This is the Unit 5 Heredity Podcast. Um, it is currently Wednesday, December 1st, 9.38pm. And I am going to try to fit this in in 22 minutes. So, we have a lot to go over. Most of it is pretty math-based, so there's not... Um, a lot to do except maybe go through the process on the podcast but um, other than that I say we get started Thorson gave us a list of things to make sure that we know I did go through the notes a little bit and we are going to get started with meiosis so in basic terms meiosis is basically two mitosis um The biggest and most relevant part to this unit is crossing over. And crossing over occurs in prophase 1. Prophase 1, yeah, anyway. um, What I meant to say there was mitosis 1 really differs a lot from my, or meiosis 1 differs from mitosis a lot. Meiosis 2, however, is the same thing basically as mitosis. So they're very similar, but meiosis 1 is not similar. Um, Yeah, so crossing over is basically the really close relation of two um, chromatids and some of their genes swap, and then we get mixed. So if you can picture a chromatid and different colored legs then that's basically what crossing over is and crossing over um, generates biodiversity so meiosis does a couple things that kind of make us who we are obviously we're not our parents and we're not our brothers and we're not our sisters um crossing meiosis generates biodiversity by crossing over and the randomization and separated and aligned chromatids within the process. Everything's random, nothing's planned, and that kind of gets us to who we are. Um, yeah, we know the basics. Um, cells have 46 chromosomes. You break them down first into the, um, chromatids and then they break down into um chromatin singular chromatin um and we end up with a zygote with 46 with the combination of two 23 gametes um sperm and egg um so that's really all that we really need to know mostly just know that prophase one um has crossing over, and meiosis generates biodiversity by crossing over and randomly separating and aligning um, chromatids and chromatin. Okay, moving on to the next little bit, we have Mendelian heredity, and we all know Mendel. Mendel was a big pea guy, pea plant guy. He um, doubted I don't know what you call it. Hold on a second. He was the guy who doubted 
the blending concept of inheritance, and that is offspring will possess intermediate forms of the parent's trait. So, for example, that could be a tall parent crossing with a short parent, making something in the middle, or a black parent crossing with a white parent and having a light-skinned child. Obviously, that's not always the case, um, and that would be kind of dangerous if we all thought that way. Um, and it gets more intricate into that. So, basically, Mendel did this thing with pea plants, because there was a lot of variation, and he realized that if you cross a tall and a short, short being recessive and tall being dominant, you would get a tall offspring, and um, he thought that was peculiar, and then he crossed that generation, the F1 generation again, and realized that 75% was tall and 25% was short, and it was not half and half. So that's where we get the cool little um, genotypes. So phenotype is the physical expression of a trait, and a genotype is the genetic pattern of alleles. So that's the physical letters that we all like to talk about. Um, there's three types, homozygous dominant, homozygous recessive, and heterozygous. Um, homozygous dominant and heterozygous display the um, dominant phenotype. And homozygous recessive displays the recessive phenotype. <sighs> That's really all that has that going for it. Um, alleles are versions of a gene. Um, and that is basically it. Um, moving to Mendel's laws. Um, so what he basically gained from all of this is the law of segregation which is that during meiosis, most traits separate from each other. And that means, like, if we picture the splitting of a cell into two daughter cells, eventually four, if you're talking about meiosis, um, they take a big T and a small T, and they split. One big T goes to daughter cell, and one small T goes to a different daughter cell, and they're both carrying different um, alleles, um, obviously, if it's homozygous, that's they're the same, but the idea is that they split, and that would be a lot of segregation. Um, law of independent assortment is when gametes are formed, and traits are typically assorted randomly and not linked to other traits. So I rewrote that as something more fun. Um, basically saying that two different genes are not affected by each other at all. They are not linked to other traits. Um, my hair and my eye color are not linked. I don't have to have brown hair to have green eyes or whatever. Um, and you kind of get it that way. All right. Um, I say that we move forward into we know how to do a Punnett square. We know how to do a... What do you even call the you know the sixteen cross thing? That is a little bit scary. Um, dihybrid cross is what that's called, and that's just two traits with various forms are crossed. We've done a lot of practice with that. I'm pretty confident. Um, always remember that for heterozygous, the ratio is nine three three one. Um, check your work. Put it in both the fraction form decimal form and percentage form just to be sure on the test because you don't I don't really I'm not clear on what that is 
And um, yeah, just make sure you pay attention to what generation they're asking for as well. Because sometimes it gets kind of funny with the F1, F2, P generations, whatever. Um, read carefully. You've got it. You did a whole long ass packet on it, so I'm not worried. Um, yes. Yes, 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 yes. More Punnett squares, more Punnett squares, more Punnett squares. And more. I don't even know what that is. We can go over this really quickly. I will just read my notes, but I'm not sure what this is or really if it's anything important. I believe it's really just um, something extra. So actually, you know what? I'm not going to go over it. So you're welcome. Time. Um, quickly, I'm going to go over the other ways to say a genotype because he likes to use them. I'm pretty familiar with them. Um, but just to be sure, let's talk homozygous. So homozygous can be formed or said as true breeding or wild type. Um, obviously, if you say, um, let's see, I naturally have brown hair. So Addison is true breeding brunette. That means I am... Um, if brunette is obviously the dominant, I am homozygous dominant. Let's say my hair was blonde, um, like I try for it to be, then I would say Addison is true breeding blonde, and blonde is um, recessive to brunette, so I would be homozygous recessive for that. Um, okay, another way to say it is wild type. Wild type, just, you know... I like to think of it as natural. I'm not really sure what else to put it. Just that um, it's either heterozygous or it's homozygous dominant. So just remember that it expresses the dominant trait. Like if I look at something, say, oh, that's natural, then it's dominant. If I look at something and I say that's not like the others, then it is recessive and it is called mutant type or mutant um, and that's when it expresses the recessive trait. That's really all I think he'll use, so I'm not nervous about anything else. We did do a lot of pedigree practice, so about halfway through the podcast now. Um, so before I get into pedigrees, take a deep breath. Um, you know, in, out. Shake it around. You should feel confident about this. We did a hell of a lot of practice. And you did all of the packets. Obviously, the little stuff, whatever. But honestly, I think this test is going to go really well for you. Okay, if you need more time, pause. If you don't, I am going to keep moving on to pedigrees. So, basically, think of pedigrees as like a family tree. We did them in... Miss Roy's room, and we did a big one on the board, and then we also were tasked with making our own for our families, and you know that was complicated because of the divorce. Anyway, so it's multi-generational. Its purpose is to track traits, dominant or recessive, whatever. You just pick one. Um, important things to remember that our um, males are squares and females are circles. Um, a line represents a mated pair. A double line is a mated pair between relatives, so incest. A line descending from the middle pair or the 
middle lines are offspring. If the square circle is non-shaded, it is unaffected, and if it's shaded, it is affected. So, um, yeah, we just did a lot of that. Obviously, you can use a question mark when you need it. Try to stay away from it, though. Use your best thinking. Most of it is really just common sense. Like, okay, if mom has to pass one of these and dad has to pass one of these and they're both this, like, think about it for a sec. And their kid is this, like, you know. You're pretty good at this, so I'm not concerned. You got the ones right on the packet. Um, one thing I want to hit on is autosomal traits versus sex links traits. Think of... Um, how do I even say this? We know that a body cell is autosomal. It literally means body cell. So if a trait is autosomal, that means gender is non-critical. I have the same lungs as any male on the planet as much as I wish that I didn't. I do. Um, same heart, same style veins, same uh, liver, whatever. Just the regular body stuff, not gender critical, um, is autosomal. However, there are traits that kind of go above and beyond Mendelian genetics, and those are traits linked to the X and Y chromosomes. More so the Y than the X, since the Y is so small and so insignificant because, you know, male. Um... Anyway, but those traits are influenced by gender. So linked traits, influenced by gender, autosomal, non-gender critical. Right, okay. Moving on. Hmm, Where do I want to go from here? I went over that. I went over that. I went over linked genes. Oh, we can go over... Actually, let's keep going over sex-linked genes because we just talked about linked genes. Gender matters. Obviously, I just said that. The guy who's behind sex-linked genes is the creep Thomas Hunt Morgan who played with fruit flies. Yeah. So, basically, the big takeaway from here is obviously females have XX and males have XY. Um, for a girl to have um, a recessive disorder. So, actually, let me dive into that first recessive if you look at pedigree and you're trying to decide okay is the trait that we're tracking recessive or dominant the first tell is the generations is there one every generation or does it skip generations if it skips generations then it's most likely recessive if there is one um every generation i lean more towards dominant the other way to kind of do this is um, if something is dom- if a trait is dominant, it's either you have it or you don't have it. There are no carriers. Obviously, some of the pedigrees we did, there wasn't any car- carriers. Like, the carriers weren't shown. You kind of had to decide, okay, when we went through the whole process of deciding their um, genotype. It's like, okay, this has to be a carrier since the husband is blank and the dad is blank. Anyway, if the pedigree displays carriers, it is automatically recessive because dominant cannot be. But if it doesn't, 
and the only things that make sense is carriers, then it is recessive. Um, just kind of remember the skip thing, because honestly, I feel like that's all I really need to know. If it skips, if it skips. Uh, he made us watch that dumb video. Anyway, back to what I was saying before I wanted to jump on that tangent. Um, for girls to have a recessive disorder from a linked trait, the mother must be a carrier or affected, and the father must be affected. That is a lot of condition, um, and it's a condition that's very hard to meet. That's why we see, what, like 90% of colorblindness in males and 10% in women. Like, it, it's just, that's just how it is. Um... Anyway, going off, uh, for boys it is simpler. The Y is the only thing that gets passed down from the father, so the only X that's really passed is from the mother. So the mother must be a carrier or affected for the boys to have anything. So it's a lot easier for males to hit something, get something, um, than it is for females. And that's alright. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Um... So, one more thing is that I want to just touch on really quick because it's a term I wasn't so sure of, um, this unit, and that's hemizygous. So, hemizygous is used to describe males, since males have one X chromosome when we're saying homozygous dominant, and we're just, that means we're describing a female with X big A, X big A, or homozygous recessive, X big A, X little a, or heterozygous, um, I think I just did it wrong, but you know what I'm saying. And then we would say hemizygous dominant or hemizygous recessive. There isn't any other option for male stuff. And that's all right. Um, jumping into the next thing because I'm running low on time. I want to go over really quickly chi-squared. So chi-squared is really simple. We have the equations on a sheet. So that's all I really need. I need to remember that the crazy E is summation. And I don't really need it for anything. Um, the O is observed and the E is expected. So, basically, we're handed expected values and we're expect or we're supposed to assume, and usually that would be pretty easy. Um, excuse me. And we're handed observed outcomes. And we have to decide what is the possible number of outcomes. So write all of that down first. What is the possible number of outcomes that this could have? So for a coin that's heads and tails, that's only two outcomes. Um, take note of the expected, take note of the observed, that all are organized, and then set up your thing. So for two outcomes, whatever the number of outcomes, you need a set. So what I'm calling a set is basically the equation, which is O minus E squared over E. So that's observed minus expected squared over expected. So for the coins, we do that twice because there's two possible outcomes. And then you subtract your observed, your expected from your observed, square it, and divide it by the expected. And then you add those, that, those values together. Um, and that is your chi-squared. And then you look at the degree of freedom cheat, and you're only going to look at the 0.5% uh, or 0.5%. 0 0.05, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's all the way to the right. 
if you get confused. And it's one of the things that we're given. So you're given one and five and stick to five. Um, so what you're going to do with the degree of freedom is you're going to take the number of outcomes, which in the coin scenario is two, and you're going to subtract it by one for the degree of freedoms. One. Um, making two into one. So two minus one is one. And then you look at the critical value, which is listed under it. For one, it's 3.84. That's your critical value. If chi-squared is greater than the critical value that you have, the null is rejected. And that's just the answer. Null rejected. It's not possible um, or statistically likely. If chi-squared is less than um, the critical value, then the null is accepted. So what we want is for it to be less. If it's not, oh well, it's just not accepted. Okay, that's chi-squared. Um, the last thing, or I have a couple things to go over. I know I'm <laughs> out of time. Keep on listening. It's really quick. I just have kind of one and a half pages left. Okay, anyway, moving on. Karyotype. We know what a karyotype. A karyotype was last unit, but just to re-over it, a karyotype is an individual's collection of chromosomes. Think of it as an image. We have 46, so think of it as an image of 46 chromosomes in pairs of two, so 23 pairs. Think of that, just that image. That is a karyotype. Okay, epigenetics. With epigenetics, the first thing you th should think of is methylation. Um, to define epigenetics, that is a trait influenced by factors, be factors beyond the nucleotide. That doesn't make any sense, so just remember methylation. You know what methylation is. Methylation is a part of a gene that is covered up or methylated and is unable to be expressed. So, let's say I'm born and my genotype, because of my parents, is... Big B, little B for my hair. The dominant being brown and the recessive being blonde. I am born with supposed to be brown hair. I come out blonde. Blonde. I come out blonde. <sighs> that can only be described as one thing. Methylation. There is something that something that factored in and is covering up my big B and my only gene left to express is my recessive. Obviously that won't work for homozygous anything, but let's deal with heterozygous right now. So, points to hit on. The gene is present. There are no mutations. A gene can be de demethylated. And this usually comes, you know, a couple months after you're born, or most commonly during puberty. Um, let's take Luke for example. He had straight hair, went through puberty, suddenly, boom, his hair is curly. He had the curly gene all along. It was demethylated during puberty. So that is the best example that I've come up with. Oh, that's going to be great. Okay, last thing, last two things is actually a big one. So non-disjunction. Non-disjunction kind of pairs with meiosis, and I should have talked about it then, but oh well, I'm going to go over it now. Um, Non-disjunction is when in meiosis, chromosomes are not equally divided, so something went wrong. Think Turner syndrome, think whatever, um, but something happened. We know that the diploid symbol is 2n, and the haploid symbol is n, 
well, what kind of happens with non-disjunction is either a chromosome is added, making it three chromosomes, or it's taken away, making it one. And you would think haploid is that, but no, that's, that's a little bit different. Um, so, uh, I was going to check something, but um, whatever, it's fine. Um, so, trisomy. Trisomy is three. We try. Trisomy symbol is 2n plus 1. So obviously that's diploid plus one. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, monosomy is 2n minus one. So that also kind of makes sense in the Latin um, idea. Uh, let's go into euploidy. Euploidy is normal chromosome condition. So that describes anyone who's got normal chromosomes. They are euploidy. Okay, and then there's aneuploidy. And we know that that's the opposite because an is in the beginning of that. Euploidy, aneuploidy, imploidy, aneuploidy. Um, so aneuploidy means abnormal chromosome condition, and that means something's wrong. And that usually falls with trisomy and monosomy. All right, last thing. Last thing. I'm only five minutes over. Hopefully it's not taking much longer. And it shouldn't because this is just environmental effects on the phenotype. And that pairs in with methylation. So think sun, think pollution, think predator-prey relation, think radiation and weather. Think anything that could change the way that we look. Think of a chameleon touching a leaf and then touching a stick. The color is changed. Methylation can be due to mutations caused by the environment. So, you know, there's not much I can do. This is what Thorson gave us. Just think of sun, pollution, predator-prey relation, radiation, and weather as your environmental effects on phenotype. Um, as an example of that, we all originated from Africa. Um, obviously, people in Africa have darker skin tones with lots of melanin. That melanin is used to absorb radiation from the sun um if i lived in africa right now with my terribly pale skin i would have so much skin cancer i probably wouldn't live past a couple months so they've adapted and when you we moved and migrated out of africa into europe into asia into wherever we went obviously it's a little bit gloomier up in England. We know that. Um, it's a little bit gloomy everywhere than the desert in Africa. Um, and skin tones start to change to better fit that environment. Think of iguanas, think of Galapagos animals, whatever. Okay, I really think that is all that I really care about. Um, I have to go, I have to stop and study for French. Um, this has been great. You will do great on your test tomorrow. I wish you the best of luck and relaxation. Think about once you get through this test, you basically have five plus weeks off from any studying for bio. You have a break and then who knows how long it's going to take him to get another unit started and finished. So, you know. Dead week, exams, break, break, 
And then I'm sure we'll have two weeks at least of instruction before our next test. So you basically have a long time. Um, anyway, have a great day. Um, enjoy your trip this weekend. Don't stress. Um, you have packed everything that you need. You have checked over. You're fine. I know Thanksgiving break was a little rough. Um, and you will crush French as well because you're late to studying <laughs> for it. Okay. Anyway, bye. Good luck tomorrow. You've got it. And if I'm listening to this exam prep, hi, future Addison. You've got it. Let's get this bread. I'm sorry. <laughs>